everybody. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal. I am your host, Bob Orms. In this episode, we will hear from Joshua Dressel. Josh is the co-founder of TeamRecovery.org and also is the chief operating officer at Midwest Recovery Center. Being a recovering addict, he is able to passionately and enthusiastically carry a message of strength and hope to anyone affected by the disease of addiction. When asked about the origins of team recovery, Josh stated, Our biggest goal was to teach people in the community that addicts are not bad people. They are sick people who need help. There was such a major stigma. We wanted to show that we could get sober and that we could make a difference. My hope is that after listening to this episode today, we are all able to find a better way to make a difference in each other's lives. Please enjoy this episode of This Is Your Normal. Hello, Josh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Bob. Today's normal topic is addiction. Josh and I met through our journeys into sobriety. Uh, Up until this point, I've kept my experiences with addiction and my life of sobriety to myself. One of the main reasons I've kept this to myself is the unwelcome response that I would receive after telling somebody that I was an alcoholic. Um, I have a sobriety date, July 15th, 2006. I have made a choice every day since then, including today, to live my life without consuming alcohol or drugs. Once I accepted my addictions and started living my life in sobriety, I wanted to climb to the highest mountain and tell the world. However, being an honest and open about my struggles did not come with any congratulations or job well done. I was met with dirty looks or yeah, you could probably use a break from it. Months and even years later, encouraged to try drinking again because I was careless and immature back then and that I'm more responsible now and I should try it out. All these things solidified to the fact that I was just doing this for myself and not anyone else. This does not mean do it by yourself. Support is essential. What I'm saying is that if you're struggling with addiction, you must first be honest with yourself, find supporters who are honest with themselves, and are capable of being honest with you. Honesty is the foundation to my sobriety. Just like there are 7.8 billion versions of normal, there are equally as many views on what addiction is and how each individual sees it. I wanna go back to the basics and simply remind ourselves of the basic definitions. I will credit dictionary.com for these definitions. Addiction, the state of being compulsively committed to a habit or practice or something that is psychologically or physically habit forming to such an extent that cessation causes severe trauma. Addict, a person with uncontrolled compulsion to continue engaging in an activity despite suffering negative personal or professional consequences. Compulsion, a strong, usually irresistible impulse to perform an act, especially one that is irrational or contrary to one's will. And once again, my absolute favorite word, normal, conforming to the standard or the common type, usual, not abnormal, 
regular, natural. Why did I include normal? It is my belief every addiction begins with something that was normal. Admitting and breaking addiction involves changing that normal into a new normal. And that is why Josh is here today talking to me. Uh, I want to turn to Josh. I want to point out um, back, this was back in November, I do believe, was your social media post that really caught my attention. Um, so I will allow Josh to paint that picture for us and tell us uh, about the three wick candle. Hey, Bob. Well, thank you for having me on your show, first and foremost, and I appreciate it. And you have definitely been a milestone in my sobriety also. I'm also in recovery. My sobriety date is 10 um, So it's been a beautiful journey. And I've known you for some years because I did not get it the first time. And uh, you definitely were a pillar in my sobriety early on in many of my attempts. But by the grace of God, like I said, I just celebrated five years in October. Um, yeah, the three-wick candle, um, that was definitely a, a holiday experience for me because I was out Christmas shopping. Um, I'll buy some candles for my girlfriend at the time because they had those sales, you know, mm -hmm. once a year. And she's like, if you're out and about, hey, if you don't mind stopping there and uh, grab some candles. And I'm just shopping away and buying the candles. And I get home and I open one of them and I realize one of them is three-wick. And it hit me like a truck. Um, inactive addiction this last time for me. I was homeless for eight months and um, I would sleep in my car rather than going inside the Cherry Street Mission because um, I was afraid they had bed bugs. You know, I would sleep in my car and I did it through a winter, which was really hard. And, you know, obviously being homeless in your car is not easy. Homeless in and Northwest Ohio during the winter. Correct. So it's cold. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where my brain would be like, hey, you know, if you push your front seats up, you go to a store, steal some three-wick candles, put them on the floorboard, light the candles, obviously, and then let them go all night. I would have a heat source in my car, so not letting it run because obviously when I was active addiction, I didn't leave my car run all night because of the gas. It would consume all my gas, and then I'd be back to you know, having nothing after just barely hustling some money, just enough to get my fix for the day, mm -hmm. and to have some kind of heat source at night was very important to me. And again, that became the normal for me. That was my normal routine. Mm -hmm. It's literally stealing candles a couple times a week, getting them at night, you know, getting there early enough so my car be a little bit warm, lighting them, sitting there, um, and making sure that my car would have heat all night, and then very cautiously sleeping and making sure nothing fell down on the floor, potentially to catch them on myself on fire, you know, right. and kill myself in the car yeah. or you know, anything. So like sleeping very not you know, sleeping, but not sleeping because I was so scared of anything falling down there and like catching on fire. And then, you know, and then two also to not freeze to death. Mm -hmm. But I did that. Like I said, I was homeless for eight months. I slept my, a whole winter in my car and it was really hard. And I look at that, you know, at the time I really thought that was just like, I, I accepted that as my life. Mm -hmm. I accepted that is where my addiction got me. And that's who I was. And it, it was okay. Like it was just okay. And the, the, the major epiphany for me with that was once I, now I'm in sobriety and I'm actually able to buy the candles, not steal them mm -hmm. and realize how much gratitude I had that it just hit, it overwhelms you like a rush of gratitude you can have for something as simply as buying a candle, coming home and opening it and seeing that lid and looking down there to remember exactly where I was for a whole winter of just being cold and scared and alone and living in fear and just all those ugly things that my addiction brought on to me 
it was just like unreal the amount of emotion I had when that happened. And I did make the social media post about it, how much gratitude I had because this year was my year. Last year, I should say now, now it's 2021. In 2020, I was able to buy my first home, a beautiful home. And I was able this year to actually get some nice Christmas gifts for some people and do some nice things. And, and that simply as a candle brought it back to me to remember how deep and dark and just the normalcy I thought of my addiction made my body feel and how much my, that the tricks in my mind would play to think that that was okay. Like it was okay to be homeless. It was okay to steal. It was okay to live in your car in the winter. It was okay to barely eat. It was okay to every amount of money in my life that I was getting or stealing, I was putting into my addiction. And like that became such a normal routine for me in my mind. Like that was just like the normal day, like mm -hmm. get up, blow the candles out, go about my day, get enough money to get, get my, you know, my fix by for the day and then repeat mm. and then repeat. And like for months and months, and it was just like, it's crazy to me to think that how much now to think back, how much I did think that was normal and to think that you couldn't get out of it. And I can remember being stuck and thinking I was going to die that way. And I, I'm by the grace of God, I didn't. And we're here to talk about it today and understand that, you know, for other people, when they get stuck in that normal feeling, how do you break it? Like, how yeah. do you break that, that normal? How do you change that routine so much in your life to not feel like you're stuck because you get stuck in the normal, like you get stuck in that situation where it's like, I'm stuck. Now what? And it's okay though. Like it's that, that fear of the unknown, but the fear of the, I'm stuck. Do I really want to jump to change? What was normal in the beginning? As far Easily, as like I would say building, the, building, the building blocks to your addiction, what, what were some very basic normal things? Because I think at least I'm speaking more of from my experience also, the way I was brought up with family, you know, drinking was a very social thing. Uh, it was cool to get the kids drunk at the weddings. Uh, my parents weren't uh, hardcore drinkers or anything like that, but we always had a bar in the basement and it, it was very welcome to go down and just kind of do as you pleased. Nobody really thought too much about it. So in, in my experience, drinking was a very normal occurrence. The family members that I look up to the most, that was their normal. I had a family members who were daily drinkers. That was a normal thing. So these, just from the my upbringing and the views that I had, drinking every day was permitted. It was okay. It was normal. So I'm just curious a little bit about, were there any normal building blocks that most people could relate to, but then maybe kind of led to an addiction for you? Yeah, I would definitely say for me, it was the same situation. I don't remember too much in the childhood. My mom would drink too much in front of us. She would definitely have a couple of beers here and there, nothing crazy. But again, same thing. We always had family parties and my aunts and uncles would, you know, have cocktails and we would, of course, as kids sneak a little bit yeah. here and there. And then I think that the, the bigger block started to build when I got into high school because I went to Perrysburg High School and it was more of a prominent community where parents were very social and social light you know, status. So it was very much easier to get alcohol. It was much easier to get, you know, beer. 
or people had other older siblings. So we would drink before the football games and before the dances and things like that in the community that I lived in, it was just very easy to go and sneak a bottle of something and obviously consume it in somebody's basement and think nothing of it and then sneak home and then repeat and understand that, you know, it was like other people did it and they're adults. Why couldn't we like kind of thing. And these things that we're talking about are things that are in movies, you know, like high school movies, everything, college movies. These are all things that I think are very normal to the American public. Definitely. It definitely comes to that point where it's like a social status. And I think that's one thing that I frown upon. And I guess I look at it more now as an adult, how much it's how normal it is in social media and the status of movies and what is cool and what's not cool. And I think that with the things that we portray to be cool are really not cool <laughs> because it could turn somebody to really be somebody they don't want to be. And I'm not saying that I, I that was like the breaking point for me to see a post or like a, my family drinking or going to parties or sneaking alcohol was what made me become such a hardcore addict. But I definitely think that's a thing to make people think outside the box a little too far to what they think their normal is mm-hmm. when it's really not to drink at that age. I think drinking is a very responsible thing for people in their life. It's not a, you know, if, or you can drink very irresponsible, but to drink normal, quote unquote, because I'm not normal. Yeah. I don't really that know aspect, what that means. Drinking normal. No, exactly. I'm the, uh, it's a, the light switch on kind of guy. Once mm-hmm. it's on, I, I don't stop until I black out or pass out. Yes. So, but I think that the responsibility with that, with these day and age, even more now is scary because obviously the more people in society we have, the more people that drink and drive, the more people think it's normal and okay. And especially now being in sobriety, I'm very observant when I'm out and I see, and I'm out to dinner or I'm out with friends places and I'll watch people drink and you'd be, you'll and anybody can go in society and see it. How many people you look around and see that you'll see mom and dad at the table with their kids, both drinking mm-hmm. more than a couple of drinks within the hour getting in the car and driving home. And that's normal to them. Mm-hmm. And the risk in, versus the reward in that situation is very scary. Like very. to me, as somebody now that's in sobriety of like the responsibility it comes with drinking. There's a lot of responsibility with that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I obviously took that responsibility and threw that out the window because I didn't just have an alcohol problem very young age. I actually got into cocaine very young okay. because it was like one of those things that was primarily in the community again, that I was in. And that was kind of like the normal situation where you drank too much, you delivered this substance, and then you were kind of sober so you could drink more and then repeat. And before you know it, the sun's coming up, you're hungry, and then you really can't sleep. So it's like, what do you do? And then you're adding other substances to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, before you know it, it's not at all a situation you want to put yourself in, but you're in it. And then you think again, that's your new normal. Yeah. It's like, hey, where did I, how did I get down this path by chipping away at those things that are responsible as the responsibility comes to being an irresponsible drinker that I just threw that brick out the window and said, mm-hmm. that's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm not responsible. So at what point in time did you realize you said, you just said like, okay, I realized then this is my new normal, but you can create those new levels of normal throughout addiction, alcoholism, <laughs> all the time. Um, 
I remember one of the things that I always did was I wouldn't start drinking until a certain time. It made it yeah. seem easier. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm not drinking until this time, and it's okay. Uh, if if we're if I was going out with friends or something, uh, we I'd be like, okay, what time are we actually going to go out to the clubs or the bars? And we'd, oh, well, we don't want to spend too much money. Let's wait till like. 11 11 30 so i was yeah. like okay i'm drinking at 10 59 <laughs> like i'm not because it was like you said i like i like what you said the light switch i was willing to turn that light switch on at 10 59 no yeah. earlier than that but i thought I, I but i thought that was me controlling the situation i think that's crucial when you are amongst an addiction is you always want to have that feeling of control because you cannot control those impulses, the irrational uh, thinking that goes on. Those, it's just very impossible to control. So I was always looking for ways to have some sort of control, like not drinking until 1059. <laughs> right. Know, or my big one would be, I would start with beer yeah, and then wait till I got out and then only drink liquor. Okay. Like, and I would think that in my brain, I'm like, oh, if I just drink beer, pre-party beer, and then get out and drink liquor, I'll be good. I'll be good. And it's like, I would just, then I get so black out so quickly. Cause you, mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, if I was a drinker, if I was in a drink, I would double fist it. Cause who wants to wait in the line at the bar? Right. Like that would be my normal thinking. Like, Hey, if I can get, why well, get one, two, and then I don't come back as much, but then I'm drinking two just as fast. as I would normally drink normal person would drink one. Right. In my brain, it would like, it was just those sacrifices of like i'm thinking like hey i'm just gonna uh, i'll be good i'll be good i'll be good i tell myself that all the time i'll be fine and i'll just get two and then i you know you tip them tip the bartender well so maybe he'd do a little extra little pour extra like, little pour maybe yeah. waits on you a little bit faster because he knows yeah. you gave him a little bit extra yep yeah so it just and it starts that you know snowball effect or you go out to the places that you knew that i knew i could just get wrecked at because there's certain restaurants and bars that you go to, they're smart and they're responsible and they're very responsible on how they serve people. And they'll know like, hey, I'm, this guy needs to be cut off. Yeah. I knew some places I would go and you can literally be blackout drunk there and they'd still serve you. <laughs> you're, it's like, you're, your head's sitting on the bar and you got two beers sitting there ready for you when you wake up, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. like, hey, that's cool. Thanks. Thanks for catching, you know, making sure I'm okay when I wake up. Right. So let's let's try to figure out wh- where do we go with how do we realize that our present, what we're doing, is not normal? Because that, that took me a long, 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 long time to figure out that my habits and my I like to I like to harp on that irrational thinking because you you lie to yourself. That's why I, yeah. I came right out and just said, you know, honesty is the foundation of my sobriety because I cannot tell you how many thousands of lies I constantly told myself to make myself feel that what I was doing was acceptable. It was the norm. It was very natural, just coming up with different excuses or whatever. And um, I'm curious if anything jumps out in your life with your situations that a moment where you like the light bulb went off, we're like, this, this needs to change. The big thing for me, I think I got to a point like it's it's slowly it's a slow progression. It was for my my addiction where going from you know drinking very young, smoking weed, doing cocaine. Um, I I felt in my mind that I could sustain it the rest of my life at one point. 
Mm-hmm. And then I was a bartender downtown Toledo and I had a patron one time introduce me to Vicodin. I think it was your Percocet at the time. And it was like, no big deal. I would take um, no really bad side effects. And then I had a, a gas grill accident and burned myself really bad. Mm. Um, and it, that really, and that really got me introduced to opiates pretty heavily. Um, and that was like one of those things that snowballed even more. And again, I felt, Hey, I can sustain this. But then you really think about back then when I was in that part of it is that I realized that I didn't sustain anything except nothing really, honestly, of image that I put on this mask every day. That was yeah. like my, me sustaining my life. I still lie to my family and I would be okay with it. I was always broke, but working all the time, mm-hmm. like two jobs all the time, but always broke. Um, and then realizing it, you know, people would say, you don't look good. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm looking at myself in the mirror thinking I look great. Yeah. Like I'm like looking like a million bucks, but I look like complete no good garbage, you know, something that's just very, very bad. And then you start snowballing even getting more out of control to a point of when I can't get the the things I'm looking for, okay. I'm going and putting a needle in my arm. And it's like, that's crazy to think that I got just kept chipping away at my bottom of going lower and lower. Okay and lower and sacrificing my life for things and lying to like you said everybody around me everybody that i love me uh, all my jobs um, quitting jobs because i knew that they were catching on mm-hmm. and then just getting to a point where it's like i'm going through so much mentally it's crazy to me to think that it's okay and it's insane that that became the situation where i was okay with that and it just didn't make any sense in that boat of like ugliness and just just crazy to me how much how bad it got me into that point in my life the bottom kept getting lower right lower and lower and lower it's insane to think that it's okay to understand do you think that you're in your brain you're really thinking that you're holding something so good in your life but really you're just crumbling on things that just are eating you away like a cancer like you're just dying inside mentally, physically, and emotionally, but you put on this mask every day that you're some doing great things. Mm-hmm. Like you're just doing wonderful things in your life and you're really not. And then once I started putting a needle in my arm and I really realized it, like after my family caught on and the girl I was dating at the time knew about that addiction and she started telling my family even more what I was doing, what I was going through. And that's when the block, the roadblock starting coming up of like, Hey, you know, what are you doing? And why are you so broke? And you know, why aren't you paying your rent or why do you need to borrow my car? Cause your car doesn't have gas <laughs> or, or anything that goes breaks down in your life. You're borrowing money from somebody. And they started talking and they started communicating and then I couldn't keep jobs. And then you really realize how quickly it just snowballs from there. Like the just all the lies come crashing in. You tell one lie to one family member and they're telling the other family member and it gets back like, hey, why'd you lie about this when you're actually here? Why did you borrow $50 from me if you already borrowed $50 from grandma? Mm-hmm. Um, like it just like it just starts caving in all those big brick walls of lies. And, 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 and then you really feel suffocating yourself. But then still, you're still doing it. But that's like, it was insane to think that I would still and tell myself in my head, I'm okay. Like, so I'm, I got caught in a couple lies. Like, I just yeah. won't make, make sure I'll be smarter next time. <laughs> Rather than stop what I'm doing Come and not doing that. Story. 
Exactly. Like, it's insane to think. And I got to a point once I went to rehab. I think I went through, I won't disclose all the, you know, the places in town, but I went to just about every detox facility you can go to in Lucas County mm-hmm. at least three or four times. And then on top of that, a couple of psych wards, um, just because I was hoping that would change. But I never really had that spiritual awakening inside of me. I kept thinking I would do that to appease them and then go back okay. to do what I was doing. Because I could literally think I could, could, I could just drink okay. or I could just smoke weed or I could just drink on the weekends. <laughs> I'll just drink on the weekends. Yeah. yeah, I'll just drink on the weekends with my friends, have a couple beers, and then I'll be good. And I think I tricked myself one time doing that. Like I drank on a Friday and a Saturday. I didn't drink Sunday and I didn't drink all week. But that was like one time. And then at the next weekend, I'm blackout drunk, getting arrested, you know, disorderly conducts, urinating in public, wrecking a car, endless amount of things that I got myself through in my addiction with, you know, criminal charges and stuff like that with just my addiction getting me. And But again, still in my mind, Somewhere, something in there was not still right. Like, I would still think that I really could get away with maybe one more. Like, I always tell me, maybe I have one more in me. Like, one more, one more. And it's tough when you're in that situation because I was literally playing myself and selling myself short because I was really thinking that I could control it. Like, I could be a normal addict, if that made any sense. And But there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a normal addict. Right. That just doesn't work. Either you're all in. And for me, I had to get all in in sobriety, which you understand. Like you, we have to get all in and we're all active and we're like real big into it. And like you're fully passionate about it and surrendering that or you're not. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to figure out that lots of times beating my head against the wall, lots of time and coming in and getting the, you know, raising my hand again and saying I messed up. And then, uh, oh, and the sad thing is for me, I got to a point, which is even worse in the situation that I wouldn't even care when I came back again, because I was just like, Hey, you know, I, I dusted myself off. Here I am. Hopefully something will change. But in my mind still, I would like, have that little glimpse of like that devil standing there knocking, like I'm here. That I'm not more. gone yet. Yeah. That one more, maybe that one more run or that one more weekend or that, you know, how I would be, it would be if it was sunny out, and I had a pocket full of money and I'm doing really good. I deserve one more. Mm-hmm. Then I started doing the trick and I deserve. Mm-hmm. Why well, deserve this? Why well, deserve that? <laughs> and then not knowing that me thinking I deserve it only entails damaging my family again, damaging my life around me again, and completely crumbling myself back to, you know, homelessness or I overdosed. And like it, there's so many things that just crippled myself thinking that that one more or I can do it and be okay with it, or I can just drink, got me to just such a dark, nasty place that, and I went to treatment, I went to treatment 17 times total. Wow. Between detoxes and outpatient, that's a lot. Like no person, it's just, it's sad. And then the sickening part is that you start to get to these places and they start to know you by name when you walk in and you know the nurses. You start looking at yourself like, you think you're cool, but it's not cool. It's right. not cool to know the detox nurse's name by name. Mm-hmm. It's not co- cool to know the doctor by name. And they know you and they look at you and you're, you're walking in there and you're three minutes in and you maybe know one person in there because you've been there so many times, but then you all, you know, all the staff 
that's not a cool place to be. I look back at it now like, dude, you were not thinking right. Yeah, I um, a little bit of a different situation, but but one thing that I thought was kind of cool that happened to me, I I got introduced to prescription uh, drug abuse through a friend, a coworker at that point in time. I had a foot procedure done, and that was my first uh, time introduced to Percocets. And at that same time, um, a coworker of mine introduced me to Xanax, which I think should be illegal. Xanax is a a horrible, horrible, in my opinion, in the way it reacts with my body. It isn't, it's insane. Um, So (laughs) yes, I was, I allowed somebody to burn me with a cigarette on my arm three times. And you thought it was okay. And I thought it was totally okay. And the fact that I was so drunk and high on prescription drugs that it barely even bothered me whatsoever. I thought I was the coolest guy in in the bar. I wore those. I mean, they were serious burns on my arm. I still have scars today. And I wore those burns as a badge of honor for a long time. And I think back, how do you think that intentionally allowing somebody to burn you with a cigarette is a good idea? Or be proud of it. You know, I'm a father right. now. If 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 my one of my children came home and said, Dad, Dad, look, 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 I let somebody burn my arm three times, I would I would lose myself. I would go yeah. find that person and just do <laughs> I don't know. But what I had to do was find that that person inside of me that allowed mm-hmm. that to happen and shake them and say, yeah. Bob. Because it's, 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 it's internal. This is, this needs to stop. This can't go on. It's, so that, that was definitely a moment. Like I said, I, I wore that as a badge of honor for months. But that forever will be a moment for me of, uh, that's like my trophy of insanity. Yeah. Yeah, you look back at that now and you just think about it. Like you said, those epiphanies now, when we're now that we're sober and you've been you know, around for some years and you really start thinking back to those situations of what we thought were just a normal Friday night out at the bar, yeah. you're drinking, taking the Xanax. Hey, look at me. I can't feel anything. Yep. I don't know. I can't feel my face. How tough are you? Right. Here's my, here's my arm. Go ahead and uh, sear me. And, and especially now you probably even more because of what you do for a living. Yeah. It really, really think about it because like, I'm sure you see burn, you know, victims and mm-hmm. it's like, Holy cow. I purposely did this to myself and the amount of pain agonizing in my brain, but I was so in a blackout mm-hmm. of not knowing it. And then I turn around and wear it as battle scars. Yes. It's just baffling. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to like talking about it right now. It's even hard to uh, explain to you why I can't, I really don't understand why I thought that was such a good thing. But I love right. it. I remember going to work and people were looking at my arm like, whoa, what happened to you, man? And I was like, oh, yeah, you'll never get this, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, I let this guy burn my arm. I could barely feel it. It was great. I'm so tough. I'm awesome. And yeah, I remember, and that's that's part of those dirty looks. Like what? You you got a problem, man. Yeah. And I'm thinking and that's when we start. Really- I have a problem. Like the fact that you wouldn't allow somebody to do this to you is your problem. There's nothing right. wrong with me. 
Right. It's crazy to think that. It is. So we, <laughs> we, we're now to the point, I hate to laugh. Like this is a serious subject. We're having a serious conversation, but I think you understand uh, why sometimes it's, it's just hard to believe the things that we've put ourselves through. And then now through sobriety, it's, it's, that's just not our norm anymore. Right. It's just not, we, we live these holistic, beautiful, loving, caring lives now with family around and people around us that care about us. And we don't live that way anymore to think that um, it's crazy to know how that was what we thought was normal. And now was not normal. Mm-hmm. What was the trick? You said 17 times you went to a treatment facility. The last, the trick was, I think, honestly, for me was this last time is I got surrounded by the right people that really had the same vision aspect of what I was doing. And it's such a crazy cliche. Like I was just around some people that were same amount of clean time as I had. And this, we held each other accountable very early on. And I don't know, I don't know. It's like a God moment, a higher power moment, whatever you want to call it. But I met my um, best friend in detox crazy to say we're still best friends today and some other group of people that were really close to us at the time and we started our nonprofit called team recovery um, in the beginning it was just a joke we put our hands in and chant in a, in a room together and say hey you know this is what we're doing we're going to hold each other accountable and kind of just like embrace it and just like smile with it and fly signs on the street corners that said free hugs drugs are bad basically Mm-hmm. And reverse soliciting basically in a street corner, just showing that addicts are not bad people. We just right. made poor decisions and kind of just like held each other accountable and kind of like went with it. But then we all were really, really active in a 12 step program. And that's something I, n- I never did before. And I got lucky because my sponsor worked at the facility I was at. And I've known him for many years. And I, when I couldn't sleep at night, I just do step work. Mm-hmm. So I would stay up all night, do step work. And I just stayed true to it and stay true to myself and stay true to my friends that I had around me. And we surrounded ourselves with really helping other people and staying on in the gut trenches of like the addiction part of it, but the sobriety part of it, like helping other people get into detox, helping other people get resources they needed, helping family members, not enable, just getting as much inactive in my sobriety that I could consume myself with and getting in the, in the middle of the pack and not being on the outside and just kind of watching and just, surrounding myself with so much of that as much as I possibly could. That's what really changed this last time was more than ever is I had people held me accountable. I got active in a 12 step program with my sponsor and he helped me work the 12 steps. I worked all 12 steps in 90 days and that changed my life. I started sponsoring guys at seven months clean, seven months sober, clean, whatever you want to call it. And that's what really kept me um, to understanding that this is a lifelong journey. It's not a destination. I'm always going to be an addict. I'm an addict since sobriety now. I don't let other people's opinion or stigma on the addiction part of it affect me anymore. Like I used to think that I couldn't talk about it. I was ashamed of it. And I was like scared to talk about it to people because I thought they'd judge me. But um, I'm the first person in the room and I've been around politicians, uh, city councilmen, mayors, judges, the sheriff, you name it. And they all know who I am and then what I do for a living and how that I'm not ashamed to tell people at all um, that I used to put a needle in my arm, but today I don't. Um, because of our nonprofit, we've been able to speak a lot of schools and talking to kids that are very young from fifth grade to college level and them to understand that it's not about, you know, obviously you go by the demographic of what age you're talking to, 
is very important, but I don't talk to fifth graders about putting a needle monitor, but I will talk about them to them about, you know, how are they treating their classmates? Mm-hmm. Uh, bullying's very uh, not good for kids these days and age. And then social media can be very detrimental to their lives of posting things that they don't realize that once they post it's there forever. Yeah. And just really, really understanding that choices even back then or what they think is normal for them um, is not good um, because they really can, you know, I did it and I, I'm a walking you know, through that situation, going through all that, of understanding that when I went to high school at, it was okay to drink and sneak and go to parties. And yeah, it doesn't mean that every kid that does that is going to turn into a, you know, an addict. It's not the case at all, but it definitely makes it harder for people, I think. And it made it harder for me to not understand that, you know, I really can mess up my life pretty quick if I don't get things, you know, where they need to be in my life and understanding that it's not okay to do those things. It's not okay to hurt my, my family. It's not okay to get in trouble. It's not okay to get expelled from school. It's not okay to be just a punk, basically, and get in trouble with the law. Back to what, you know, I really got lucky by meeting the people that I surrounded myself with then and understanding that, you know, we just held each other accountable, man. And it was really cool because it was so, back then it was, you know, it was so, much fun and like sobriety is beautiful and that's the thing that the stigma it gets it also is that one they're afraid and are ashamed to say who they are but how much beauty comes out of it and i'm not saying it's great every day and i've been through a lot in my sobriety and i've had depression you know moments and i've had places where i've been really like just in a funk or like people passed away that i've loved and i've had financial troubles and and struggles but after all that though like it was never bad enough and I hope it never gets bad enough where I've had to decide that I have to throw away my sobriety date and start over because I have people today that love me for who I am. And I'm not ashamed to call a man crying on the phone and telling him that I'm emotionally broken and saying, hey, I need help again because I'm depressed or getting a therapist because I've had to see a therapist for some situations that came up in my life. I'm not ashamed to say those things anymore. And I'm not ashamed to tell people in my family if I'm upset or if I'm sad or, you know, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. And like I tell people all the time, like, I, you have to express your emotions to at least someone. I'm not saying go out and, and yell it off just, you know, the, like you said, yeah. the, the towers of the mountains and saying, hey, I'm an addict and hey, I'm hurting. But definitely find some people that you can talk to about your life and, 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 and let them know where you're at and let them in and find people that are men. Because I, I need a man to teach me how to be a man. Because I was just a, a boy in a man's body that didn't know how to balance a checkbook, let alone get a bank account that was, you know, in the positive or own a home or have a car payment or just, or, you know, or have friends in sobriety or go out and have coffee before the meeting and after the meeting and, and have fun, man, like smile and embrace the sunshine, embrace the small things and just living life and what's important today. That was another thing, like forever I, in my life and I'm growing up, I thought important was to have the nicest car, the biggest home and the biggest bank account. And really, you know, don't get me wrong, finances the world goes has to go around money has to that's how we survive but those aren't important like important to me is my sobriety is number one obviously conscious contact with my higher power and then having people around me that love me and for who i am as a person not putting that mask on anymore Mm -hmm. i threw those masks away i don't wear a mask today that's so important to understand that we don't have to wear masks today like we can be you can be silly if you're a silly person and what you like to but you know, be silly if you're a serious person and you want to learn. And, and but then be silly, whoever you want to be, be you like, be truly no mask wearing 100% solely yourself 
and understanding that it's okay. And people are going to love you for who you are. And if they don't, then they're, they're not your people. That's right. it. Like they're not your people. Then that's not your tribe. Find your tribe, find the people that are going to help you and help you grow and help you hold you accountable and just, and they're important to you. And, and, and none that mean the world to you. Like I have some people in my corner today that I don't know my biological father, but I've adopted one. And um, in fact, I called him before I called you due to this call with you to Zoom, um, this podcast, excuse me. And um, he said, don't tell Bob. So Scott C says, hello. Yeah. Oh, um, and he's like, he's like a dad to me. Yeah. And he's like a dad to me, man. And, and to have people like him in my life. And then obviously my best friend, Matt, and other people in my corner, my, I just go on and on with people in my life today. And then my family's back in my life today to understand it. Like, you know, like it's, it's just the amount of gratitude and to think that how my life has changed, how my normals have changed so much since I've gotten sober from where in the beginning it was so easy and comfortable. And my normal would be to go to group every day, come home, take a nap, eat dinner, maybe catch a meeting and then go back to the recovery house. And then it changes when you get your own apartment. And then it's like, okay, you got to balance treatment um you know work and then also sustaining a home an apartment i had an apartment and then in repeat then you get a little better job and then you're like sustaining treatments done so now it's like rubber hits the road like there's no treatment there so now i have to really be honest and there's no more random urine screens and there's no random breathalyzers it's like okay this is a new normal now it's like hey i gotta go to work catch a meeting understand that it's very important to that i keep myself active in my sobriety and then what do I do though? Like, how do I do that also? And like, how much do I dedicate myself to this? You have to be an all-in. I had to be an all-in kind of person. I had to take all that energy that I would ever go into drinking and using and put it into my sobriety so I could have a beautiful, you know, sustained normal life that's not surrounded by that anymore. And then I'm fortunate more than some when it comes to that, because I still, I work in drug and alcohol treatment today. And I think that it's definitely good for me to see detox day one every day because i walk in uh, i work at a detox facility one of the places i work at is a detox facility and i see detoxing people every day i see what it is to have day one and i also work at an outpatient facility that i see people at day 30 and day 60 and day 90 and then i see them graduate and then they come back and then they stick around long enough they potentially get jobs with us and it's like it's really cool to see the full spectrum of it because um, I'm very fortunate. Like the job I have, I don't really consider a job. They pay me and it's a beautiful thing. But at the end of the day, I work with people that I love working with and I get to see people get their lives back together like I did. And that's a blessing, man. Like, that's like a gift. That's a gift bigger than greater than I'll ever be in my life. And I can't take that for granted. I was given a gift to help people and I was given a gift in my sobriety. The biggest gift I was given is my sobriety. And it's like, don't take that for granted. I think you rewrite for me. I rewrite my, my new normal every day because mm -hmm. I can choose to wake up and have a shitty day, excuse me, a bad day, or I can really choose to have a really great day. And, and it comes back to, you know, you know, we hear this all the time. It's gratitude is attitude. Like how much gratitude do I have for my life today? Do I have a roof over my head? Do I have healthy family members in my life? Am I fortunate to have a car to go to the store to get groceries, to pay for the groceries, to come home, to make dinner? And I have a wonderful, I have wonderful people in my life today. And it's like having all that is just unreal. Yep. I have written down here in my notes, uh, intentionally creating a new normal. Yeah. And like that, is, Bob, it's so true. And that's so 
And that's why I love the biggest thing you did with this, this whole podcast is the normal. It's like, well, those words that really people are like what I'm normal. And it's like, really like think outside the box. Like how often do you rewrite your own normal? Like mm-hmm. we do every day. Like, cause I'll tell you right now for me, I'm a sweets guy now. And I might not look like, cause I'm not, I don't weigh a bunch, but I, you think I would after all the seats I eat, but <laughs> I'll go on a chocolate chip cookie kick. And that'll be my normal for a week. And then next week it might be sour patch kids. And the next week it might be, chocolate cake and the next week it might be cheesecake and it's like my routine though i'm a pretty basic routine person when it comes to work and like my home life with my girlfriend and her son i'm pretty routine with that but other things in my life like i rewrite them like i enjoy it like some days some weekends i'm one of those guys that doesn't like to sit still and like always have projects but then some weekends i'll just say no i'm just gonna lay low and talk to hang Bob out. and do a podcast yeah exactly and it's great i'm great this morning i woke up took my christmas lights down because it's way past christmas and I scheduled this with you and it's great. I love it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so cool to see one, you still really trudging along. And then, and then for us to be hand in hand and not see each other all the time mm-hmm. and talk to each other time. And we can literally jump back in to each other's lives. Like it was, it was like, it was yesterday. We were running into each other places in the in community, helping other people. And then you're out helping people in a different aspect today in your life. And it's, it's so cool to think that the, the, the journey you went down from where you've been to where you're at now, like that's a big deal. Like people's lives are in your hands every day, just like they are mine. We yeah. both work, we help people. We help people in their most trying and desperate times of their life. Yours is definitely more life-threatening and, and life-dangering because you get them at the worst of the worst. Like you definitely get them way worse than I do. You get them at like the, the gates of hell. Right. I get them before they get to the gates of hell. And it's like, that's where the cool thing is like we both of us now can really, you can be even somebody's rhyme or reason at one point. And I'm sure you probably happens all the time. And you probably don't even think about it. And you can really dig about it. How many times you could have just said something to somebody that was either struggling or suffering after an overdose or something comes up and you're like, Hey, like it doesn't, you don't have to continue down this path, man, and have compassion about it. And, and then to really give them just that, maybe that glimpse, they might not, it might even hit them right then and there. Cause I can remember when after I overdosed being in the hospital and the nurse is like, you know, you don't ever have to do this again. And then I didn't think about that until years later, like after I've been sober, I'm thinking like, you know what? She was right. I never have to do that again. I never have to do that again the rest of my life. I, I can choose that today. I have a choice. Within the midst of a full-blown addiction, that thought process of not having to do this again probably never really enters the addict's mind. Right. Because they're so warped in that I, you know, I have to get this fixed. I have to do this. I have to do this, and it, it it's not really no. Actually, I don't. No, no, it's not going to happen anymore. Right. Um, one thing I want to qu- point out really quick that we talked about uh, earlier. You said that for a while you had that that one more that little devil in the head that one more thing. I always bring that up to other people who are not alcoholics addicts. Because they're always like, well, you know, after, after 14 years, you know, don't why, go out with us, go out to the bar, or, you know, go, go do this, or, you know, you should just try it. Like I've never had, um, I don't even know the terminology of it. Um, there's all these microbreweries and all sort of kind of stuff. Like people are like, oh, you've never had a, a pale ale or something. And I'm like, I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> exactly. But most people don't understand how evil that one more thing is and the way i can easily explain it i went and visited some family down south and i had the best glass of sweet tea i've ever had 
And I was like, oh man, I have never had sweet tea. I'm in the South. I'm drinking sweet tea. And the waitress says, you want another one? Sure. Bring me another one. Boom. Slam that one. And the next thing I know, I'm like drinking five sweet teas. And I'm thinking like years later, this, this is why I don't go try that pale ale. Correct. Because I can't, I can't even control not having one sweet tea. Right. It's just sweet tea. I wasn't doing damage, but internally my wheels are spinning thinking like, Mm -hmm. Whoa, Hey, wait a second. What, what's going on here? Like what kind of, what kind of work do you need to go home and get done to make sure you're on the right path? Because for people like you and I, that drinking five sweet teas at a, uh, at a restaurant or the, the chocolate chip cookies or, mm-hmm. you know, the Jolly Ranchers or whatever that we're partaking in, that can easily get out of control for me on a regular basis. And I got to keep that in check. And that's a daily reminder for me. Like if I eat a couple chocolate chip cookies, I'm flipping that switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're I become that situation where I can take something and literally make it an addiction so quickly because in my brain, like it's like it it manifests itself in different places in my life. When it comes to I'll and it's been happening to me in my sobriety where I'll work myself so much mm-hmm. that I'll never take a day off. I'll literally consume myself with work so much, or I'll consume myself with doing home remodeling repairs. And it's like Josh, it's not broken. Why are you replacing it? Yeah, like I'll consume myself with buying tennis shoes for a while. Mm-hmm. you just start consuming yourself with other things and manifesting and it comes up and then it's like hey then you have to check yourself again that, that's why it's so important to have people around you that understand you even more than you do like I, my best friend matt like he can pull he can pinpoint things with me way before they even happen mm-hmm. and like say that hey he's like you're going it's not good now i've literally gotten arguments with him like dude f you i'm fine and like i call him two days later i'm like bro you're right and he's like i know i just want to tell you i love you and i know you wanted to tell me to kick rocks and i was wrong but i'm telling you bro like i can see it and like it's there it's not you're you're not yourself right now like i'm just telling you i know you i'll trick my own self and manifesting and letting come out and then try to and you know tell other people i'm fine when they know they can look at me and see that i'm not on the right path and if i continue on that wrong path for too long that's where again i'm always i'm one bad decision away from having a, a shitty life again. And I don't want that. I'm one bad decision away from having something that cannot be something that I want. So it's like staying close to it, that conscious contact and understanding that people are going to really need us just as much as I need them and understanding that it's okay to say, Hey, you're right. I don't see it right now, but you do. And uh, I really need to understand that it's, it's your, I just have to really in tune myself and understand that it's like getting consciously contact back to with people around me that are in recovery and then taking the suggestions and early on, very early on the cliche used to drive me crazy. And I understood it took me a very long time is that you are who you surround yourself with. Who do I surround myself with and who am I around the most and understanding that those people mean the most to me then. And then beginning, like you have a hundred pennies in your pocket. It's a hundred friends. We all have hundred friends. We get sober. There's people all around. You talk to people, blah, blah, blah. It's like all over. Then I got to a certain point. I was like, look, I need to have four quarters in my pocket. And those are my go-to men in my life. They're going to teach me how to be a man. And if I'm the smartest guy in the room with those guys, then I'm, I'm on the wrong, I have the wrong quarters in my pocket. Like I want to be teachable still, or remain teachable every day. You know, and knowing that these people are pillars in my life. And then when they say these things to me, like, Josh, don't you think you walking out with a bag of chocolate chip cookies all day long 
and consuming them and you're consuming your life with that and you're going to get diabetes and who knows what's going to happen, but that's obsession. Like, we just get that obsession. So it's, what's my new normal balance? Well, mm-hmm. it changes every day and understanding that it's okay, but don't let something get so crazy that I have to understand that it, it things are tough, man. And life's going to be tough, but try to make as much of it as you can for the best that you can. And, and, and just and, and embrace it, man. And just embrace it, embrace it. Sometimes there's times where I'll have a bad day and I'll come home and it'll literally simply be taken and come walking in the door and the dinner's being made and I'm just like in it. And then I'm just like me simply just setting my phone down and just taking a deep breath and realizing that like where I'm at and like what's going on and like all goes away. Like I'm real big on meditation time for me is music. Like when I'm in the car, like put some classic rock on or put some, you know, some country music on or something like that. And and it's just, it's just, it's, it's crazy to think that how much things will change you and just understanding that it's getting into that soul music. I call it now lately. Mm -hmm. It's like getting deep to my core and what's important to me and refocusing myself and not letting that those simple little things manifest to be something that could be really big and detrimental to my life to change me again. And I don't want to be there and catching them. Cause I'm sure you have the same situation when you start getting those places where you're like, you'll start seeing yourself doing that. Maybe that one bad habit at home, you'll come home and just whatever. And it's like, and it starts manifesting itself in other parts of your life. And then before you know, it's manifesting itself where you're being short with your wife and then the kids are annoying you and then things will come up and it's like, we have to check ourselves and say, Hey, reality check time. Like it's like the snap of the finger, you know, it's like snap that finger and say, Hey, come on, really uh, can just really change this and understand that. It's, it's time to change again for the right reasons. Yeah. I think what we're talking about are, um, I call them life coping mechanisms. How, how do you cope with life? How does, how does the other person cope with life? Um, I think everybody has their method of how they cope with life. We're choosing not to use mind altering substance to cope with things, which may be difficult for people. I mean, I know people who it's, it's very common. And that was the way I grew up was you go to work, you come home, you drink a beer, you relax, you know, have a house, pay your bills, go to work, raise a family. And that's the norm. I'm, I'm constantly trying to find ways to intentionally create that new normal and find, okay, I used to be able to cope with life doing this or that, but that's not working anymore. So I need to intentionally create that new normal and find a different coping mechanism and the better you're coping with life and i think uh i've I've, we've talked about it in other podcasts this whole 2020 thing okay like everybody's had to cope with a lot in the past year Mm -hmm. okay right so what we're talking about are developing positive healthy coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. and the blessing that we have the gift, I like you call it that, the gift is we're intentionally creating new normals. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. If you would have told that the day after I let somebody burn my arm, if you would have said, you know, years from now, you're going to be talking about intentionally creating new normals, intentionally making yourself uncomfortable recording yourself and a friend doing a podcast and then publishing mm-hmm. it to the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's going to be a new normal you're going to create on a Saturday afternoon. One day I, I wouldn't believe it. Right. But it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful, man. Beautiful. We're both so blessed. 
We are. Um, let's. I think we've we've really covered a lot. Is there anything at this point in time, Josh, that you really feel is um, any final words or anything like that? Or I think the big thing, Bob, for me is I wanted to share this, and I just want to let people know that like, there there's a lot of resources out there in the community for people that might need it. And um, obviously, you can check out our website, um, teamrecovery.org. Teamrecovery um, that's our nonprofit. They have a lot, a lot of resources through there. The number is 419-561-LIFE. It's 419-561-LIFE. We have a lot of connections with a lot of treatment centers, facilities locally and uh, on a national level. And the, the place that I work at is, I'm going to give a little shout out to it's uh, Midwest Recovery Center. You can get on Google, check us out. If you uh, need any help, reach out somewhere. Some Please don't, don't be ashamed to reach out and don't be ashamed to say, hey, I need help. Because I know that would change my life. And you can learn from your and I's people out there can learn from a lot from you and I, we're just being brothers in recovery and knowing that we both have really good, healthy, happy lives today. Yeah. We go through struggles and we've had bumped our heads and we don't have perfect lives. And I'm not saying there's rainbows coming out of our ears, but there's definitely a solution between our ears to help someone that might need it. And if it's not you or I, we can definitely direct them in the right direction for somebody else that can probably help them with the situation that they're in. So I really appreciate you for having me, man. And in the future, you need from me, please let me know. You know, I'm always a phone call away and I'm glad this kind of reconnected us and I'd love to catch a cup of coffee with you someday soon. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Um, I, I could probably in the description of the episode, I could probably post a, um, a link. Okay. Um, the teamrecovery.org is probably the best way because that's uh, yeah. a way for you to get other resources. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay, I could probably do that. And thank you again um, for all your time today. It is greatly appreciated. In closing, to the alcoholic addict, you are not hopeless. You are not broken. You are not a detriment to society. A new normal is possible. Create one today. And if you are struggling and want help, go to teamrecovery.org. This website is full of resources, including help for the loved ones directly affected by addiction. Or simply call area code 419-561-LIFE. 419-561-5433. Please remember to subscribe to the show and download this episode to enjoy at your convenience. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal.